Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sesploitation Conflagration. Here are your two amazing hosts, Nate Bradford and Stephen Ronquillo. Guys, take it away! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 600. I can't yeah, believe Yeah, we made it, baby. Yeah, I can't believe I've been doing <laughs> a, a podcasting that long. And I've got a great guest tonight. If you know your history about the Carolina drive-ins and stuff, you'll know who Worth Keeter is in a heartbeat. Well, in if you collect public domain box sets, you would know him from uh, Wolfman which was basically on every <laughs> public domain DVD box set. So, Worth and I, uh, we've never met, but uh, just so you know, uh, you're on our, our 600th podcast. Uh, honored to have you here. Um, yes, very the honored. Way that- the the way this usually works is uh, Stephen guides the show and I sit over here and uh, drink beer, do shots, and smoke marijuana, and then uh, occasionally chime in. So uh, that's that's, okay. that's how this works. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I can deal with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, I am I am I am I am knowledgeable about uh, you know film and pop. <laughs> Pop, pop culture, so I, I can yeah. I can chime in and uh, and add to the conversation. But uh, Stephen generally guides the yeah. uh, the shows. The only film that I can remember of you and uh, Earl on VHS was uh, the 23D ones that were now converted into 2D then put on VHS. Yeah, they are. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. We did a number of 3D movies. Uh, and they are now in uh, – uh, uh, God, what, I just forgot the name of the company. <laughs> Severin <laughs> Films is doing Blu-ray re-releases on a number oh, of 3D oh. movies. Yeah, I yeah, know they, Dogs uh, was uh, one of them. Uh, well, there was uh, – Rottweiler was the first one. Which yeah. was, I think, called Dogs of Hell in release. And the second 3D we made was called Hot Air. Uh, the third was Hit the Road Running. And then there was Tales from the Third Dimension and Chain Gang and Hyperspace. Yeah, and then yeah, you have another. Yeah, go ahead. Nate. Oh, I was going to say, I, I remember Dogs of Hell being released. Uh, released in 3D. Um, I didn't remember Hot Air being a 3D movie, uh, but I mean, you're the. I mean, it was your, it was your film. So uh, yeah. if you say, yeah, so, it was, uh, it was, it uh, was. Uh, wait, let's see. Uh, yeah, it was, I do. It was I do. 3D. Yeah, I remember yeah, Tales I, of the Third Dimension being in 3D, and I remember Dogs mm-hmm. of Hell being in 3D. But I guess maybe I just never saw the uh, 3D version of Hot Air. Uh, but yeah, 
but that's cool. Yeah, uh, that was our that was our second the second 3D, uh, and uh, uh, I remember because we had uh, we had uh, uh, aerial footage uh, and we had difficulties with the uh, the mounts for the helicopters because of the 3D lenses. Yeah, look, look look at how easy it is for filmmakers nowadays to do uh, aerial shots with the drones. Uh, you know, I, I think about the uh, the stuff that that you guys went through making movies back then. I, I I watched the opening sequence to The Shining, and I'm just like, holy cow! Like how how many hours of helicopter did that take? You know, uh, and, now people uh, just yeah. Yeah, and, well, yeah. and now people just with, um, with the 3D cameras the, uh, too. Yeah, the well, the cameras. Our our system used a single camera, but the lens mm-hmm. was quite bulky. Uh, and uh, but but even so, the, the even the lightest cameras then were were a good bit heavier than what people are shooting with now. Because they were film cameras, and just by necessity, they would always there was always a certain amount of mechanism and motors in there to make it work. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, so the the 3D uh, in each of those films was done in post production. Then, of course, right? Uh, no, there was no way it, to. It was done. It was done in. It was done in the camera. <clears throat> Oh really? Yeah. Oh really? So so yeah, those are in then, camera. They didn't have oh that nice. Post, but that was a, a OO thing, the post production 3D. Back then, you had to shoot it with 3D cameras or lens, like they did. On, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was yeah. yeah because there was no there was no digital anything that didn't exist at all. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. That was way before that, but the, uh, what we used uh, regular 35 millimeter cameras, film cameras, but the lens um, uh, split the image and it put, uh, it was an over under system the top of the frame would be like the left eye image and the bottom of the frame would be the right eye image. And then when they were projected, they were recombined through polarizing filters. Wow. That's really interesting to me. I've, I, I'm, I'm a huge film fanatic uh, and I'm a fan. Hello? Yeah. Hi. I Hello? think Nate, we lost Nate. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, just I mean, heard a blip have, gone. Uh, people, you see, we've had these box sets these years. Uh, it came from Florida, the William Griffey. It came from Minnesota, the Bill Rabane. If they did a Worth Keeter and Earl Owensby set, it would have to be the Mad Men from the Carolinas or something like that, because that was your two stomping grounds, wasn't it? Well, yeah. The, uh, uh, I uh, was originally from uh, North Carolina. So, uh, yeah, I guess 
that had that portion of my career here and then uh, uh, the other portion in uh, L.A. Yeah, I mean, back then it was like a legend. I was like, these two guys down in the Carolinas made these movies for his drive-in and cut out basically the middle man and the opening man so he could just basically take all of his money and reinvest it into his own <laughs> movies and not have to worry much about sharing profits with others. Well, he uh, uh, he did uh, finance his own movies. So, uh, you know, uh, at least uh, in the beginning, they were all self-financed. So, uh, you know, there was uh, uh, Earl had really no one to answer to, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know he he uh, would uh, come up with the ideas for the movies and uh, 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 decide what was going to be made. Yeah, this is back in the seventies where the theaters. You could they could show what they want, and they didn't have to sign these contracts with studios. Whereas, like, if you want our film A, the big blockbuster, you got to show our film B and C, and it basically knocked out the small independents. Well, they um, our movies did play some of the theater chains. We we just didn't have the clout. Um, uh, uh, I mean, prior to actually working on movies, uh, I worked in a movie theater, so I was familiar with the. Uh, back then, it was there really weren't many multiplexes, so, uh, but there was a bidding process where the theater chains would bid on who got uh, the uh, the hot movie. I, I remember the chain I worked for, the the big movie we got. Uh, at the time was The Exorcist, and that was a, a big bid. You had to pay a lot more of your uh, admissions to get a movie like that. Yeah, and that's another way that you guys got in, because you could offer sweeter deals to the theaters than the majors would give you. They're like, well, well we yeah, got... there were. Now, yeah, go ahead. There were some of the movies were distributed. <clears throat> by uh, larger companies, uh, Earl's first movie, Challenge, was distributed by a company called Cinemation, and it was a uh, national release. And then uh, the movie Buckstone County Prison in 1978, I think, was uh, Film Ventures, uh, was distributed that nationally. Ooh, Cinemation. I bet Earl didn't make one cent off that movie. If any of the stories I believe, yeah. Because I've heard stories about Jerry Gross and his bookkeeping and profit-sharing methods. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know what? Luckily, somewhat for Earl, he had started distributing the movie uh, regionally before Cinemation got involved. So he had made some money on the movie before Cinemation got involved, but I believe once they got involved, yeah, the, the uh, 
the prophets never found their way through. Yeah. Of course, that Gary, was not uncommon. Yeah, that was uh, the way of the walk back then. Yeah, we went through that with a, a number of companies over the years. Even, uh, it's like I've always had a joke, how can you tell an independent horror exploitation classic from the 70s? The filmmakers got screwed by their distributors and never seen a penny from it. Yep, yep, that's, uh, there's another film that I worked on uh called Axe and uh uh they Severin re released that on Blu ray a year or so ago. And uh but the filmmaker Rick Fidel that made it uh, uh was never even aware that the movie was uh being retitled and re released constantly for a Yeah, let's of see. Years. Uh Axe uh California Axe Massacre, uh, yeah. Lisa. Yeah, it was originally, when I worked on it, it was called Lisa Lisa. And then, uh, uh, God, I'm trying to remember that distributor. Uh, 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 but, uh, yeah, Novak, he, Harry he, Novak. Yeah, Harry Novak. And he retitled that movie over and over again. Yeah, and he put his name on it, Harry Novak Presents, so he tried to say that, and he put a card in there produced by Harry Novak. (laughs) Yeah, somebody recently asked me what Harry Novak was like, and I said, well, I never met him. He, he, uh, uh, I mean, the movie was completely finished before he ever got involved in it. He had absolutely nothing to do with the financing or production or anything having to do with that movie. Yeah. Are you going to kill your microphone? I guess he is because there's still no audio from him and he's there. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, I've heard stories about Harry Novak. Even – Something weird put out his movies until uh, it come time to re-up the contract, and they said there's no way that we're playing the fees that Novak wants because there's no way that we would make money off of it with what he's asking us for his catalog. Mm. Wow. Yeah, they uh, they did some uh, when they did the uh, re-release of Acts. Uh, there's some documentary footage they went of them looking for the negatives of the film. And by this time, it was uh, Novak was long dead, and uh, all these reels of film were in this dilapidated building. And uh, they were searching through, and they, they eventually did find all the negatives and elements for Axe. Yeah, I think that was in the big uh, warehouse that uh, something weird that Mike Barney just bought out of the blue. friend of his called him and said, hey, there's this big factory here, and it has like uh, 
over uh, two tons of film in it. <laughs> That's yeah, I'm, how, I'm glad some yeah. people like looking for that stuff because it's it's uh nothing that that is uh that I'd want to be involved in. <laughs> All <laughs> just just stacks of dusty cans and rotten yeah. buildings. And you got to hope that someone put the right film in the right can. It's like, oh, look, here's Worth Keeter's uh, film. Uh, let's look in there. Why is a copy of Gone in 60 Seconds in this can? <laughs> yeah, not only that, but they're never all in one place. Yeah. You'll find a reason somewhere, and then the others will be somewhere else. But, yeah, I mean... That had to be a great way to uh, learn your craft back then is that you could just get hired on one of these small independent movies like that. And they'll be like, okay, we're going to film. We're going to do this on Saturday, but I don't have any skill. Yeah, but we need a cameraman, and you're here. Yeah, we uh, uh... – <laughs> I never saw that uh, in terms of, of camera people, but uh, for instance, on Axe, the um, the uh, location sound recordist was also the guy that composed the uh, soundtrack for the movie, and he had come in wanting to do uh, the soundtrack for the movie, and uh, and I guess the reasoning was, well, he records things, so he must know something about sound. And they said, well, you know, would you also record the sound on the set? And uh, they gave him a recorder and a mic, and and, uh, uh, that's the way that happened. I got Axe's California Axe Massacre when my uh, video store was uh, selling off a whole bunch of their films, and I was surprised how good that movie was. Yeah, it, it um, the uh, writer director uh, Rick Pradell really uh, to him he was making in his head he was making an art house film and not yeah. a horror film. Yeah, he uh, well, it plays like uh, that. But, but he uh, knew that he had to have a genre in order to sell it, and. Uh, but even though it was a very, very quick shoot, uh, he really took a lot of care with it. All yeah, right, guys, uh, my Internet's down, but I'm on the phone, so the sound quality might suffer, but uh, I'm here. Good, but, yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, and, and so uh, mentioning that uh, – isn't that wasn't that kind of what Ed Wood's idea was behind uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space? If you if you uh, make a genre film that you can sell and make some money off of, uh, that can finance uh, uh, your other you know your next film. Uh, isn't isn't yeah. that what uh, a, a lot of uh, artsy directors will say? Uh, one for the studio, one for me, right? You know, well, I, uh, I think uh, you know uh, uh, on Axe, uh, Rick was 
you can really tell that he was uh, really inspired by the Polanski uh, uh, film. Uh, God, I'm missing the title of it right now. Uh, uh, Repulsion. Yeah, Repulsion. Yeah, when, it's like yeah. a cross between <clears throat> Repulsion you, and Last House on the Left. Uh, but yeah, he was really influenced by Repulsion, I think. Uh, but yeah, it was that, that was uh, if you know you were to find the money for a movie, you had to tell someone how they were going to make their money back, and that was uh, the easiest thing to point to. Is look at these horror movies; they're making money, and uh, people would just take that as a fact. Yeah, and that's and one of the biggest reasons Earl started to uh, make his own movies for his own drive-ins. It's like, you mean I can make my movies and don't have to tell people where and how they're going to make their money back? Okay. Well, he, <laughs> well, a couple of things. First of all, he didn't own any theaters. He didn't own any drive-ins or anything. That was uh, another there was a group in Charlotte called Preacher Man Corporation that had made a movie called Preacher Man, and they yeah. did own the, they did own drive-ins and so forth. But Earl uh, did not own theaters, but he, uh, like I say, the first, I don't know, five or six movies he produced himself, so there were no outside investors in it. It was after we made the movie Living Legend that was very that there were some investors, and that movie was very successful for the investors, and so they just kept reinvesting in movies at that point. That, now, yeah. At, at that ahead. point, uh, were 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 you still in the in the? Uh, mode of just shipping film canisters around the country like uh roadshow style just uh just theater to theater or did you have multiple was, copies that that you were oh, distributing were, uh, <clears throat> there would be between um on on the regionally distributed movies there would be uh 50 to 100 prints of the movie and you you know the there were sub distributors that you dealt with, and they would uh you'd go to a certain region where all your advertising uh cro- crossed over, so you'd buy out advertising in the newspapers and the radio there was uh most people don't know but but prior i think maybe to jaws there there wasn't much television advertising for movies. Because it was very expensive, I think Jaws was uh, probably one of the first movies to do that. So yeah. there wasn't television advertising, but you had newspaper and radio. So they would. Oh, talk, oh yeah. Uh, like yeah, I, 50, I, I, I have I have thousands of newspaper ads from. I mean, I'm I'm 50 years old, so. Uh, I've been uh-huh. collecting newspaper yeah. ads for for uh, for movies my entire life. I have thousands of them that I've clipped out of the newspapers my entire life. I I love the newspaper ads. And uh, I've I, got uh, quite a few CDs with the radio ads. I love it because yeah. 
they would make like a movie for those that you could see in your head. Yeah. 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 Well, they were, they, they used to, uh, you guys are probably familiar with this. When a movie would come out, there would be the press book. And in the back of the press book would be the different movie ads. And the, um, <clears throat> the manager of the theater goes up and pastes them up. And that's what went to the newspaper to be printed. Yeah. And yeah. those little yeah. records that they sent out to radio stations, if you can find any of them, I've seen them go for a pretty penny nowadays. Well, they used to, there was a, occasionally they'd have an interview record and it would be the star of the movie. There would be a script and there would, and you would have the star of the movie on the record answering the questions. So then what would happen is it would go to the local radio station and your local radio personality would act like he was interviewing in the station this movie star, and he would ask <laughs> yeah. the question. And then they I, rem- I remember that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, I remember that from when I was growing up. Yeah, yep. Uh, they'd have yep. Uh, yeah, they the the local DJ would just pretend like they had the actual person on the show. Yeah, I, I totally yeah. remember that. <laughs> I've got one. It's on a Cinema Wasteland Volume One radio ads, and in between every answer by John Gilgood, it would have edit and add DJ asking question here. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's it, like John Gilgood went to the it, little station. It actually, it actually says that on the record. Yeah, it actually it actually says it right on the the like the sleeve. <laughs> no, on the audio recording, so they could add, so the they could at the station edit know where to put the question. Huh. That's, so that's it would crazy. look like a sound like a seamless interview rather than him asking a question and then putting the record back on again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you you know you know me, uh, uh, Stephen. I I collect vinyl and I collect all kinds of rare and weird vinyl. I've never gotten an interview record like that that actually had yeah. something like that. Only uh, one I, I've actually seen yeah. in uh, Raw was this guy selling drive-in. I was like, "Ooh, interview record! How much?" He's like, two hundred dollars." <laughs> the um, the theater, I mean, the manager of the theater would get all of this material with the movie. They'd get the record and, and they'd get the uh, radio spots and the press book with the ads. And, uh, uh, and then they would give you ideas on how to promote the movie. Uh, yeah. And all of that was in the press book. And for all you people... Who don't know, the sub-distributors, there was, uh, let's see, the Carolinas. Tennessee was part of Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi. And then there was the Floridas. And then there was uh, uh, the Texas ones, which basically covered Texas, California, Arizona, and New Mexico. And you would have to go to the major sub distributor 
of that area and he would cut you a deal and he'd distribute your film. That's right. That's how it worked. Well, we, yeah, I lost Nate again. Uh, there he is. Nope, uh, nope, nope. My internet came back up, so I I called back in uh, so I could <laughs> talk on my actual actual microphone instead of talking yeah. on my phone. <laughs> I have seen a lot of people I, drive write about drive-ins, but none of them talk about this aspect of it. They talk about the movies and stuff and their local drive-ins, but they never get into things like that. Mostly they brag about four walling and stuff like that. Yeah, there you know, four walling was uh uh it it was not real common. I mean it, there were companies that uh I mean there was a company Pacific International that we had dealt with at one point, uh that did these uh, like nat- well, uh, nature movies and uh uh, and they and then they did a series called the Wilderness Family that were drawn. Oh, that's so classic. Uh, yeah, it was Pacific International actually, but they were they were tied with Sun Classics, very similar. Yeah. And then there were the um, uh, there were some documentaries like Chariots of the Gods and so forth that I think were four walled. Oh, I know uh, about those. We had Jefferson David, the one who worked a lot, worked on them before. May he rest in peace. But yeah, yeah I think yeah. It's like uh, you would just was, buy the theater out for X amount of of money per week, and you owned the theater. You owned, I mean, every dollar that came in was yours. The theater had been paid. They kept the uh, concessions, I think. Yeah. Huh. Uh, the Sun's big ones were, uh, let's see, uh, the Mysterious Monsters, uh, Cherry of the Gods, uh, the Bermuda yep. Triangle, uh, the late great planet Earth, Chariot of the Gods. In Search of Historic yep. Jesus, The Assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big, uh, I, I'm a big, uh, uh, I know, Worth, you don't know me uh, very well, so you don't know this about me, but I mention it all the time on the show. I'm a huge fan of uh, cryptozoology, UFOs, uh you know uh the the mysterious and the unknown uh so yeah like those chariots of the gods movies and yeah all of those films were uh really exciting to me uh as a child and i own most of them uh on uh either blu-ray or i have a digital version of them now you know i mean i Uh love that stuff i love it (laughs) yeah uh, yeah, it was so. Uh, yeah, it's a, a time. You know, people are used now. You can find anything anywhere. But back then, there were you know there were just a, a handful of television stations and anything else. You know, it, uh, if it was certain subject matter, you were not going to find it on television or anywhere else. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, Stephen yeah, and I talk about this frequently here on our on our show, where we just mention, you know, like uh, how yeah, how much it's of course so much easier to find anything that you're interested in now with the internet, but. Uh, you know, back in the day, uh, you had to, you know, you had to have a cool video store in your neighborhood or you had to, you know, uh, go to the, uh, the bookstore and buy a magazine and, uh, learn about something that might seem cool to you, you know, did, did they even have yeah. bookstores or, or video stores anymore? Do those things still exist? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's still Barnes and Noble somewhere, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know about uh, 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 video stores. Yeah, I don't but, I don't think there's a there's a barn there there's a Barnes and Noble right in my neighborhood, but yeah, there's no video stores around here. Nah, they're all gone. It is sad that uh, Earl's most well-known film nowadays is Wolfman, and it really isn't one of his best, and it's not typical of his work. But because somehow there's a print on public domain everywhere, that's the one everyone knows. Well, yeah. Yeah. uh, I remember at the time because I was in in L.A. and Earl had called me and said, "Yeah, they're you know that everybody's distributing this thing," and and there was an address and I uh, actually it was not far from where I lived and I went to this office building and of course the uh, the place was deserted but yeah it was pirated and then everyone had it. Yeah, you would try to track them down, but it'd be lead you to empty office building after empty office building. <laughs> yeah. One of the funnier stories worth I know is that the owners, well, you know that Detective Chainsaw Massacre was directed by uh, Bryanston Films, which is owned by the mob, the Perino Brothers. Okay. So after the first year, yeah, the mob distributed distributed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the producer, I I think, I think, I think, I think, (laughs) I think you're, I I think you're dabbling in libel here, Stephen. I don't know. No, it's actually true. It's even on the the Blu-ray. What happened is he burst into the office. And he was like, and he just basically is like, I want my money. Where's my money? You're ripping me off. And then he looked and realized who he was with. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, May I please leave now? (laughs) I didn't mean to bother (laughs) you. (laughs) There's a... That's that's not an uncommon thing. (laughs) Or it wasn't at the time. Yeah, well, yeah, not not for the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, what I wanted to ask you about, and uh, this is something I was really excited about having you on the show for, 
uh, worth is uh, I was a really big fan of Silk Stockings. Can you tell me a little bit about the uh, series or, or the episode or uh, that yeah. that you directed? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I uh, <clears throat> was uh, I was finishing a, a movie and uh, the uh, production manager, line producer on that movie had moved on uh, to uh, do this series uh, uh, with Sue Siegel and Stephen Cannell. And uh, yeah. he, uh, he recommended me as a director for the, uh, for the show uh, or for an episode. And uh, um, so they, uh, Stu Siegel, the producer, he brought Stu to the editing rooms and, they looked at, you know, some scenes that we were cutting and so forth. And then um, a, a couple of days later, <clears throat> pardon me, I got the call that they would like me to direct an episode of the series. So uh, it was to be the second episode. They were doing a pilot that was the first episode. Uh, but right. Pilot only in the sense of it was the first show. Uh, and um, I was to do the second show. And uh, so I went down. It was being done in San Diego, and they were just getting their studio in order and, and building the set. So um, I was there as they were shooting the first episode, uh, but none of the sets for the show were finished. So the uh, first episode uh didn't, uh, as far as I know, they, they didn't use any of the sets that were used for the rest of the show. Um, it was mostly done on location. So uh, the uh, the one show ended at like midnight on a Thursday night, and I started first thing <laughs> Friday doing the second episode. And they were just, we had three sets on the first day, and none of them had been shot in before, and none were lit. So it, it was a very long day. But uh, uh, I did I did that show, and uh, but there were some difficulties because the uh, the, the uh, uh, network CBS uh, had not seen any of the footage from the first show until the night before I started shooting the second show. And they had a lot of uh, problems with the show. And uh, I had just started shooting and the uh, (laughs) producer came down to the set with this whole list of things. And uh, like, they didn't like the color of this or that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, what do you want me to do? I mean, we're the sets. These are the sets. This is all I have to shoot on. And uh, uh, so it, it was difficult. And uh, so I was, I was not, uh, I was not back to do another episode of the series. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I learned uh, that really was, I just sort of got caught up in this crossfire and uh, was, uh, you know, uh, I was the easiest guy to sacrifice, I guess. Yeah, it do- it does seem strange because Stephen Cannell, 
uh, ha- has such a storied history with uh, successful TV shows. And, uh, of course, he's going to bring in uh, a host of different directors and writers to work uh, on his shows. But, yeah, uh, I think you're probably right. Uh, they threw you under the bus because they were just like, well, the, meh. You know, there was no, there was no problem uh, prior because uh, I, I actually, the script that I directed was written by Steve Cannell. And, right. And, uh, and he actually flew to the uh, studio in his private jet to be there for the table read. So when we did the table read of the show, Steve Cannell was there, and we went over every detail of the show. <clears throat> and he was all on board. The, the big issue was the production design. The, they decided to go with a really way-out production design for the show with a lot of really wild colors. And, for instance, the, um, the uh, police station had black walls. I mean, it, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was surrealistic. And every episode you were assigned uh, two colors, and that was your color palette for the show. And uh, oh, mine, was, uh, mine was magenta and uh, turquoise. So, people, he's Legit. not colorblind. <laughs> it's not his fault. That was what he was stuck with. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, where the back to panel is, when CBS looked at it, they said, that's not what we want. We, we want like Hunter or these other shows Cannell did that were you know, not visually uh, extreme. They just wanted it to look like a regular cop show and not a, uh, not like a psychedelic uh, dream. And my Uh, problem was that that's the way the sets were and there was no time to change them. And so in order to get the show done, I just had to shoot on those sets and with the art direction that was put out there. So uh, do, I, I think that's where I got in trouble. Do, no, do you, you didn't think get in trouble. The... the thing was is that Canal wanted to do Miami Vice, and they just wanted Hunter or a regular cop show with as much TNA as they could put in without actually putting in any TNA. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's right, uh, uh, but. Uh, Miami Vice looked mild compared to the uh, art direction <laughs> on Silk Stockings. And by, by, let's say, the fourth show, by the fourth episode of the sixth episode, it totally looked like Hunter and those shows again. And they, uh, they changed the DP. They changed a lot of people. Uh, but they kept the production designer. <laughs> And if, uh, Nate, I got a question to ask. Ask you. Nate. What? Get over here. I got a question to ask you real quick. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, I was, I was looking, I was looking for something. What do you got to ask me? 
if you was going to do a show about books, how would you greet your co-host? If I was going to do a, do a show uh, about books? Yeah, how would you greet your co-host? What would you say to them? <laughs> uh, I, I, I would do like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, one of those, uh, you know, uh, just like sipping my uh, tea. Yeah. Mm, welcome. Well, you know what well, I would well, say? I would Welcome say, hello, to... Vicky Love. Hello, Stephen. Yeah. Vicky Love, our sci-fi guy. And you Now I've got this to deal with. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, worth. She's the sci-fi member of the show and the well-read. If it's anything about books or anything, that's her number one. Oh, okay. she is good. Yeah. <laughs> Not and, all. Uh, I haven't read every book. Minute there, yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is uh, after you got fired after doing one episode of Silk Stockings. You got hired to another show in the 90s and ended up doing like about 300 episodes to about <laughs> three or four different series of it. Well, yeah. Now, first of all, I wasn't fired from Silk Stockings. I, I was only hired <laughs> well, you from, only did one episode. Yeah. You're, you're only hired <laughs> one episode at a time. So um, I just wasn't rehired to do another one. I'll put it that way. Yeah, but yeah, right. That I uh, I uh, got a call uh, to come meet Shooky Levy, who was a friend of mine, and I had worked on some different projects with him, and uh, about doing a TV series, uh, and he showed me footage of it, and it seemed pretty wild. And they uh, said we want to. Uh, we we're making TV and we're making TV movies and we want to put you under contract for a year to direct for us. And, uh, and I, I initially turned it down uh, because I had another movie that was supposed to go. And uh, uh, then overnight I decided to change my mind. And, uh, but that was, Power Rangers. It turned out to be the Power Rangers show. Yeah. Yeah, that that's probably where I know you best from as a, a as a director uh because like I said, I'm 50 years old, so that was right about in my, you know, my wheelhouse right there. That was right. probably about the time, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so um, so now I, I have to ask, um, when you, when you were directing the episodes of Power Rangers, was that all, uh, fresh footage or, or were you, uh, editing in or were, were the producers editing in footage from the, uh, from, from the Japanese, uh, 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 action shows? 
Well, we they were uh, <clears throat> the way the process worked was uh, the producers owned the uh, the footage from the Japanese shows, and uh, and there was a certain amount of it that they would want to use, and so right. they would look through the the editors would go through the episodes of the Japanese show and find the parts that they thought they would want to use. And then that went to the writers and the writers would create a new story. And when we would get the scripts, uh, if it was Japanese footage, the description would be, uh, uh, would be underlined in the script. So if it was, <clears throat> yes, if, if we were going to shoot it, it was underlined. And if, it, if we weren't going to shoot it, it was underlined. And then often we did transitions or, you know, we, you know, put our, edited our footage with it and so forth. Uh, but as time went on, we used less and less and less of the Japanese footage. The, um, the portions we almost always used were the, uh, when the giant monsters were stepping on buildings. We didn't do the uh, miniatures. Or right. rarely we some of them, and but we didn't often miniatures. You, did a gr- you guys did a great job of making it blend. There's not... You can't tell where one ends and one begins. There's no nasty jump cuts or anything like that. It does play smooth. Well, it was it was um, sort of interesting because we had locations that were similar. Like our studios uh, were in a, a studio complex that was basically an industrial park. And when you got the and, and when you got the Japanese footage, their studio looked like an industrial complex, and they would go outside <laughs> and shoot. And the yeah. other thing nice. was <clears throat> they nice. had a cave, and and we had a cave, Bronson Cave in Hollywood, which is famous from many movies, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and hundreds of westerns. And it was the Bat Cave exterior and the Batman. TV show. So we filmed there a lot. And our locations looked like their locations. So it made it often easy to uh, edit the pieces together. Mm. Yeah. And how many uh, series did you you end up working on uh, with that many episodes? About two or three? No, I did, uh, let's see, I did, uh, of the Power Rangers, I did Power Rangers, the first series. Mm-hmm. I did did not do Turbo. I did Power Rangers in Space, Power Rangers Lost Galaxy, and Power Rangers Time Force, and Power Rangers Lightspeed Rescue, and Power Rangers Wild Force. So there were six. Power Rangers series, and then I did VR Troopers, and yeah, I was I was gonna I was yeah I was gonna say VR Troopers. I I knew you had something to do with that. Yep. Yeah. So all in all, I did nine different series for them. Wow. 
All right, Vicky, you got some questions for our uh, our guests tonight. Yeah. Well, you're you putting me nerd on the spot, out. huh? Well, well, I you want to Power ner- Rangers, Well, you. But you want to nerd out for a them. minute? <laughs> I watch the Power Ranger. I just have. To, I, I just want to say that I always watch the Power Rangers with my sons, <laughs> and my sons love the Power Rangers, especially my oldest son, who's now in the Navy. He loved the Power Rangers. He, I, there is nothing you could say about the Power Rangers. I'm talking about, you know, the the original series and all about hey. the Power Rangers. That that you can't say anything bad around him because he loved them. Mm-hmm. And then I, <laughs> we saw all the movies, of course, and so. But I'm not an expert on Power Rangers. Um, uh, I just really like them and I like the fact that they were done in a way that the kids really loved because they knew I you know it wasn't it wasn't cheesy violence it was karate chopping but not real contact and the kids they loved it they ate it up and so so the Power Rangers weren't some um, novel back from the um, 1600s, so I don't know that much about them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it all. I, I I I think it all came from that same era, though, where uh, you know, talk about like Captain Planet, uh, you know, or uh, you know, I think that whole era was about like uh, you know, having a team uh, of, <laughs> of 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 different people uh you know different races working together uh right gender it was in, yeah it the of uh, the bosses yeah. you know that they weren't uh you they weren't just male monsters they were females one you know that one of them i can't remember her name but she could look kind of crazy witch like i can't remember her name yeah um, that was, uh, uh repulsa Rita repulsa was the main yeah on the show yeah. Yes. She yeah. Was fantastic. Fantastic. I oh, I can I still see her in I, my mind's eye. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I thought so her no, name all was. All that was I, great. Well, I thought her name what? was Vicky Love, but I was, I was just. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have black hair. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. Mine's gray. <laughs> uh, yeah, mine's turning. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't really um listening to the early part of the show. Sorry, don't don't chop my head off. Oh, don't uh, worry about it. <laughs> yeah, so I can't really contribute too much yet. I just wanted to be on. It's the 600th episode. Yeah. 600th episode, baby. We made yeah. it. <laughs> and uh yeah. I just want to thank you for all the work if you've done through the years from your work in the Carolinas with uh, uh, Earl to the Power Rangers and all your stuff. Well, thanks. And uh, yeah. you seem like you're starting to get a little worse, uh, a little horse there, worse. Would you like uh, to call it a night? <laughs> I'm. I'm- that's just my voice. That's my okay. allergies. I had uh, yeah. uh, always had allergies, and when I lived in California for a long time, they went away. Yeah. 
And uh, living back in North Carolina, they come back. They just come and go. Yeah. And you know, I, uh, I hear you. Sympathize all of that. Allergies are the worst. Late summer especially, man. <laughs> so um, uh, let me ask you, um, we've talked about uh, the the projects that you've worked on. Uh, do you have some favorite uh, TV shows that's or movies that, that you'd like to discuss? Because that's generally what we talk about on this show. Uh, well, let's see. Not, uh, I, I'm... Uh, uh, I've always been a huge fan of, of the James Bond movies. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, let's see, going back, you know, going back uh, in my, I, I always liked this sort of spy thing. And uh, going back in my childhood, that was very, very hot because the, the Bond films had just come out and were huge, huge international successes. And then we had the, you know, the man from Uncle and a number of spy shows on TV. But my uh, my favorite uh, uh, TV show was a show called The Wild Wild West. Which oh was, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Bond and West, and um, <clears throat> so that was uh, as a kid that was my favorite show. And uh, but uh, years later, uh, the star uh, Robert Conrad and I became friends and were close friends for a number of years. And so I got to uh, we'd have lunch once a week, and uh, I'd always uh, get to ask questions about the show. Uh, but yeah. uh, uh Movies now, I'm I'm not a superhero fan. Uh, I, I I I don't know. I I, uh, I miss things that are a little more down to earth. Uh, I, I like yeah. clever scripts. Uh, I uh, you know I like movies that make you think a little bit. Yeah, we're we're not big we're we're not big superhero fans here on on our show either. We we do watch the superhero movies just so we can discuss yeah. them, but uh but yeah, we're 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 more into horror films and and, and not just And Vicky you know, is and, the sci-fi nut. Yeah, she well, is I, the sci-fi. More, more science fiction. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I, the least I, of I, all, I was, so yeah, I was a, a, a huge fan of the Hammer films. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 60s and yeah. 70s and 80s. I was a very big fan of, of those films. And I'm a big so, uh, fan of uh, dry, well, the drive-in culture, which is how I really know your name. And I've had to fight throughout the years once people start seeing, looking at a drive-in movie, go, oh, that's Grindhouse. No, it's not. It was a drive-in movie. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah all that yeah. Uh, quote-unquote exploitation. And, and I was I was also a fan of the uh, black exploitation movies in the 70s. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so it was a uh, it was a, a great thrill. I I got hired to direct a series that uh, starred uh, Richard Roundtree, who was Shaft 
the original Shaft movies. And uh, nice. so that was a big thrill yeah. for me to get to work with Richard. Yeah. And, yeah. I've always heard he was good, to, good and easy to work with. Yeah, he, he was. He was very easy to work with. He was uh, – uh, he was serious about, you know, about what he did. And, uh, uh, but yeah, he was a good guy to work with. Now, I, 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 go ahead. Nate. Oh, no, go ahead. No, no. Ask a question no, go about ahead. Richard Roundtree. No, no. Cause I my question, just, my question. <laughs> just ask your my question. question. I was, was just going to make observations. My question was about lunch. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you that, know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, well, your question was, was probably uh, Richard Roundtree <laughs> was a big star until he put out Man Friday, his uh, reinterpretation of uh, Robinson Crusoe, which he starred with uh, Peter O'Toole in, and that killed any action <laughs> credit he had with the black. I have a, a funny story. Um, when uh, they made the the reboot of Shaft with Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jackson said, uh, had an edict that there would be no writers on the movie. And um, what Jackson probably didn't realize was that the character Shaft was created by Ernest Tideman, who was a white guy. And I, I <laughs> ended up working with Ernest Tideman. Ernest Tideman wrote uh, Shaft, and he wrote The French Connection. I think he won the Academy Award for The French Connection. But Yeah, um, I, I, be, yeah, yeah I believe so. But yeah. Ernest Tideman was, uh, was not a black writer. No, <laughs> I wish that uh, Roundtree could have gotten the Shaft movie that he wanted to do, but they made him do Shaft in Africa instead. He wanted to do <laughs> he wanted to do an adaptation of Tidyman's book Shaft Among the Jews. <laughs> how would that, that have been any? How would that have been any better than Shaft in Africa? It still would have been I've, just if as you've read terrible. The book, it's great because the book basically portrays Shaft as a race, uh, the racist guy who goes among the Jews, and uh, uh-huh. it has this one scene that's great. It's like Shaft looks at the old Jewish guy and says, "You don't understand what it's like to be imprisoned." Uh, for like a hundred years and forced to work, and then the Jewish guy shows him his uh, consecration tra- tattoo and says, "Oh, really? Do I?" <laughs> yeah, I, I guess there's room for everyone to learn. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 I, I can see that as as being a good scene. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, you know who should direct it though. Because I'm contractually obligated to mention every episode, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I, uh, uh, well, yeah, he, he probably spent, I do uh, have a short. question about Richard Roundtree. Go ahead. And uh, I just want to know if he dressed as sharp 
on, you know, out as a regular person as he did in every <laughs> single movie I ever saw him in because I love the way that he's always dressed. And, you know, it's like, is that his style or is that Hollywood style? What Did he wear T-shirts and jeans out there no. in the real world? Because he yeah. is just a beautiful man with a beautiful sense of style, I swear. The uh, uh, he, on the show that I did, he always wore his own wardrobe. So, so he, he it was his it was his real wardrobe. And, oh my um, God! And he? Yeah, he he, he yeah. arrived at work every morning looking like that. The only thing oh, was man. he would he he said I I've got to deal with the lint in my hair because he had a little bit <laughs> of uh, white hair popping up here and there and, and oh, he would yeah. make he would touch that up. But uh other than that he 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 always looked stylish. Well that's awesome yeah. to know because he in my mind, if I was like gonna pick um some of my favorite actors who were dressed just, you know, the best dressed, he'd be up there from top five. And so yeah. Yeah, wow, that's great to know. And I love how when he's in the movies, he wore the black leather, the jeans, and T-shirt, like uh, Vicky said. But then when they did the TV movies, he upgraded in the three-piece suit. Yes. But to Vicky's point, the thing is that, you know, uh, an actor that would be normally wear jeans and a T-shirt is not going to – even if you give that actor the same clothing, they're not going to know how to wear it the same way. That's uh, true. You, you have to have a kinship with that wardrobe to make it work. True. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. True. yeah. Well, in, yeah. in our yeah. movie, yeah. Um, we're making mm-hmm. our actors wear their own clothing, too. We tell them what the scene needs and and how they <clears throat> dress, and they have to go through their own wardrobe and and find it. It's just because um, we're low budget, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, but that, it works out. That, it works uh, out. That, they, they, a lot of movies. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I did a movie years ago with George Kennedy, who was a uh, uh, you know, fairly big star at the time. Right. And he I brought love every, every bit of clothing he owned from L.A. He emptied his closets and brought. <laughs> trunk after trunk of clothing because uh, people, you know, if there's not a reason to wear a different wardrobe, uh, they're often more comfortable in something they they wear every day. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's a great, um, that's exactly what our main, uh, our lead actor, our lead male actor, he brought his entire wardrobe. So he and our director went through all his clothes and said yep this one and this one and this one and it was so wonderful it was just awesome i'm going to tell him the george kennedy story yeah you know if if, um i mean often you need to have doubles which in that case it doesn't work uh if you're making an action movie you're you're going to end up wardrobing everybody in the movie but you know if it's, it's dialogue you're probably going to be fine with their wardrobe. Yeah. 
there, uh, yeah, there, there's a funny, uh, I don't know if you guys watch uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, but there's a funny episode of <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David is uh, uh, filming a Martin Scorsese film, and uh, he has a, a, a wardrobe uh, jack, a jacket from the wardrobe, and uh, he loses it, and he spends the entire episode trying to find a replacement for it. And when he finally gets back to the set, the wardrobe director says, Oh yeah, no, I have an, I have another, I have another version. <laughs> you know, I have another one, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> uh, but, but as, as, uh, Vic, as Vicky and Steven well know, uh, I have a large, uh, wardrobe <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, eccentric, yeah, eccentric outfits <laughs> over here. I told you, Vicky, you haven't even I mean, begun to see one. my wig collection. It, 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 <laughs> True, you've I've only, only seen, seen what half a dozen. <laughs> you, yeah, you've only seen one of the. Yeah, I've got wigs for days, baby. I got wigs for days. <laughs> uh, so uh while while we've uh while we've got a guest uh uh here tonight for our 600th episode um let's ask some more questions uh, you know we're just trying to talk about uh different stuff here so uh what what do you care for when it comes to music uh, uh i I, uh, God, I'm trying to think, uh, nothing, I, I, I'm not, a, I've gotten tired of music, I guess, I, uh, you know, when <laughs> I, uh, take a trip in the car, uh, any lengthy trip, I'm probably listening to an audio book or talk radio of some kind, uh, because all the music that I grew up with, I've heard of a million times now, and, uh, I don't really keep up with much of what's new. So uh, that happens yeah. to everybody. Yep. It's like yeah. My favorite uh Doonesbury commercial where uh cartoon, it was in the eighties, where it has him rocking out and he says, Hey, do you think you're rocking out listening to this? Well guess what? This is the oldie station. You're officially old now. <laughs> And then it has him falling around like, no. Well, yeah, I, I have my, my, like my iTunes playlist, and uh, I just add over the years, and uh, and they're incredibly long now. And and I, I reach the point where I'm, even if it's something sort of uh, that maybe years ago I wouldn't have liked someone to know that I liked it, I just put it on now because it's. Uh, 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 I really don't care anymore. But uh, <laughs> but music to me is <laughs> background. It's if I'm if I make if I'm going to be in a car for a number of hours, I want something more engaging than just listening to music. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't care for much modern music, but my wife and I are. We collect vinyl. We actually have four turntables in our house 
so we can listen to vinyl in any uh any room in the house but uh-huh. um otherwise uh yeah we don't we don't listen to any real modern music we just buy you know a lot of records but we do have a thing that we do that's really fun we have a playlist on spotify called just woke up like this you know how you wake up in the morning and you have a song stuck in your head Whenever uh-huh. that yeah. happens to us, whenever that happens to us, we add it to our Spotify playlist called <laughs> Just Woke Up Like This. <laughs> and it's it's an hilarious playlist, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, I, as frequent as, uh, as uh, you know, uh, as a song, I get bits of background music from movies stuck in my head. And, and I can't guess what movie they came from but i remember the piece of that very vividly uh, well uh worth it was nice having you on and uh people if you really want to get something good get the blu-ray that he worked on of act and I think doesn't the Blu-ray come with a double feature of his other film, uh, Kidnapped uh, Co-Ed? Yeah, yeah, it might. And there's uh, it's uh, and there's some documentaries on there. Uh, yeah. Uh, that we we uh, we went back to, <clears throat> and there aren't many left, but we tried to go back to the original filming locations from uh, 1973 and uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty entertaining if, if uh, you like that sort of movie. Well, Kidnap Colwood, like Axe, goes to places you really don't expect a movie like that to go. Cause the sad bitch is basically man kidnaps woman and woman falls in love with him. <laughs> we, uh, when, it, when we were, yeah, that movie. None, of, none of us knew what we were. None of us had a clue what it was about. You know, we we knew there was a kidnap, but but, but uh, you know, a lot of the little bits in the movie were just made up at the time. And we go, where does this come from? Like, it would be some the the bad guy or the kidnapper checked into a hotel, and Rick would make a whole deal out of the. Uh, desk clerk, uh, you know, sticking something in his ear, you know, so a lot of it was made up and, and uh, <laughs> we just knew what the movie was about after a point. Yeah. And Wait, by uh, the, go, go ahead. Who's talking? You, Nate. I wasn't, it wasn't talking. Me. Yeah. It wasn't oh. me either. Uh, Stephen, uh, well, I was well, gonna say. Stephen, uh, I was gonna Rick, say, doesn't a uh, man kidnaps woman and woman falls in love with him and marries him? Isn't that how your uh, Isn't that how your marriage started? No. <laughs> uh, 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 what? Uh, what uh, the uh, the acts and the kidnapper movie was at one point. Uh, Rick, the director, because they both starred the same actor, and they were both short movies. He had the idea to edit them together, and he, he 
made it into a film called Bloody Brothers, where he explained that they were two brothers that were like separated uh, at birth, but they both went on a crime spree unbeknownst to each other about 40 miles from each other. And he edited the two <laughs> things together. Uh, if that, is that if that's on the Blu-ray, I'm going to go order it tonight because that just sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I, I want to see that flick. I want to see that flick. <laughs> I'm ready for it, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, a movie oh, where you can tell that the director is just going to go off on any weird tangent he wants is more interesting than just the A to B to C to D movie. And that's what makes <laughs> Axe and Kidnap Coed so watchable. And I, no, love, I, I love. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, it. You're yeah, the just, you, yeah. There wasn't much of. You're a the guest. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think on both of those movies, uh, I'm going to say the scripts weren't much longer than 40 pages or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like. For me, I really love uh, low budget movies that are. Um, that are like regional, like uh, like an old movie like Teenage Strangler or something, where it's just like you know some random dude in Kentucky decides that he's gonna make a movie. You know, like I love stuff like that. I I, I really love that kind of like underground cinema. That for me, that uh-huh. that's a real favorite. Yeah. You know. Or like we were talking about earlier, like the Florida films that just kind of seemed to have sprung out of nowhere. And all of a sudden we've got this weird Florida movie. You might want to check out. It's it's a really terrible movie, but the first movie I ever worked on was, it ended up, you can find it now, called Dr. Gore. I got that. uh, Yeah. No, Patterson. Vicky yeah. has a copy of it. No, that's me. That's the I, have, I do not have a copy of that. I do. Yeah, you I just, got the something you, weird D- DVD of it as uh, Dr. Gore. It comes with J.G. Patterson's Dr. Gore and his other film, The Electric Chair. Yeah, I uh, worked on both of those movies. I uh, <laughs> I actually get shot in the electric chair. I'm courtroom scene, and uh, uh, somebody goes nuts, and I'm in the jury, and I get shot and killed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, yeah, Dr. Gore is insane, and uh, I think it's funny that the print that Something Weird has has the opening uh, dedication from H.G. Lewis on it. Yeah, yeah, Pat Patterson had uh, worked on some of Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies in Florida, and uh, uh, was in came to, back to North Carolina, and I guess decided he could do the same thing. 
Yeah. Oh, and I have yeah, a we're, J.D. We're... Patterson story for you, uh, Worth, before you go. Uh, it was uh, at a bar, and uh, William Gaffey was filming a Whiskey Mountain. He told us when he's on the air, and he t- he called uh, Patterson Booger. And he said they were in a bar and these two locals were messing with them. And they started trying to pick a fight. And then uh, Graffade looked over his mouth and said, hold Booger back. Hold Booger back. Okay. That, and these guys kept, kept messing. Okay. That was not the same guy. Okay. Uh, the, uh, because I've seen that, and I was confused for years. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> J.G. Patterson was a very small guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was probably 5'5 five, five or 5'6. Five, uh, yeah, but, yeah, Graffet. I think the thing was, Herschel Gordon Lewis made a movie, Whiskey Mountain or something. and, and uh, Moonshine uh, Mountain. Yeah, Moonshine. Yeah, Moonshine. Yeah. Yeah, there's some confusion because I would see that for years, and I'd go, yeah, I knew Pat Patterson during that time, and and he can't be the same guy. I I think pretty much if your last name is Patterson, your nickname is going to be Pat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that's just how it is. Like uh, I've read stories. Uh, like uh, on the something weird documentary, he tried to say that Earl Owensby was a drive-in distributor in the Carolinas who was the creator of the term uh, uh, putting, getting softcore dirty porn movies and then putting Swedish before every one of them. Well, a uh, <laughs> uh, couple of things wrong with that. Earl Owensby... Uh, <laughs> had a, a tool a tool company uh, yeah. that sold pneumatic tools. Uh, yeah. And the other thing was Earl was, uh, you know, saw, taught Sunday school. So there was never, I mean, the movies were practically G-rated for a long time. There was never yeah. uh, any involvement with porn. So. <laughs> I know. It was just one of those things when I heard it, I'm like, what? What the heck is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was confused somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, Earl is one of those guys that not much have been written on him because there really hasn't been that much information about him out there. Well, there was there was a lot at the time. I mean, um, yeah. there, there were a lot of, of magazine profiles. Uh, uh, Sixty Minutes did a story there, uh, you know. But so there was a lot done. But it was in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. So it's just not a lot of that is floating out there anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm really. Uh, I'm I'm really glad that we got to have you on the show. You know, uh, yeah, we're big they, fans. You yeah. know, uh, yeah, yeah, we're we are we are movie nerds, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, 
we pay we pay attention to things like this. So we're really happy that yeah. we got to have you on the show, especially yeah. for our 600th episode. Yeah, so, yeah. this is an honor. Great and uh, thank you for being on. And if you talk to Earl, tell him that uh, we said thank you for his movies, and he needs to get them out, <laughs> out on DVD so we can watch them. Well, they're trying. <laughs> yeah. Okay, take care, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Okay, before we get to the giveaways, there was something... A big announcement, uh, something about November. November, November. What is so special about November? Uh, I'm just going to shut up. Do you, uh, Vicky and uh, Nate, have anything to say about November? Uh, I can't wait for the cold the, weather. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, no, we don't have anything to say about November, but... <laughs> Uh, Maybe October. But yes, October. I think. Yes, I thought uh, that's what I was told a few hours ago. <laughs> yes. So on October third, Vicky and I are going to uh, launch a podcast of our own, where we will be talking about everything from movies to music to politics and healthcare. Uh, I'll still be here with Steven on Wednesday nights and uh, Vicki and I will be doing our show on Sunday nights. So yeah, um, we'll keep you updated to let you know uh, where and when you can listen uh, to and, our new show. Uh, I will download his show and upload it here to KSDAD so fans of Vicki and Nate could hear it here too. Perfect. That sounds delicious. Okay. Yeah, look at this. Uh, 600 episodes, uh, Nate's being very creative, uh, and Vicky's making a movie. We've gone a long <laughs> way from uh, the girl who I had to get on the show because she was complaining about us talking about the most disturbing films, saying that, you know, that's <laughs> women's perspective. You don't understand. I'm like, yeah, I'm either going to hear complaining or get her on the air. <laughs> oh my God, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the oh, yeah. first the the first show that we ever did was me and you talking about um, Alexandra. Uh, no, yeah. What? Who? Yeah, who what did we do? Joe, uh, the most disturbing was the first one that you were on. But the first thing yeah. that me and you did together was uh, the stuff that we talk about on our massive. He was the first yeah. one to really give me a shot that, besides the little reviews that I was writing on Facebook, he just showed it. He's like, hey, you yeah. want to do something together? I'm like, uh okay 
<laughs> yeah, we did our uh we did our uh Jodorowsky uh podcast, but that was after we had already started working on the magazine. Yeah. Uh yeah, we were doing the e stuff magazine. on the magazine. What yeah, yeah, e magazine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or as the cool kids called it back then, an e zine. E zine. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that was just another way for people to say, "Oh, I don't blog. I make it easy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah we easied it. <laughs> uh, that was fun, and here we are now. How long ago do you think that was? I uh. I smoke a lot of marijuana, so I don't have it any short-term uh, short memory. It was 2010 <laughs> to 2012. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, because it was back when I still lived in Bangor. Yeah. That was when that was when Abby and I still lived in Bangor, so, yeah, I'm thinking 2010. So I'm thinking, what, we've done 20, what? Yeah, Ten, we've we've done a yeah. uh, uh, it. I don't. We've I'm not. I'm not good lot. at math. <laughs> and Vicky so, has uh, done over uh, possibly a hundred. Vicky loves sci-fi. I'm gonna have to count that out. Yeah, yeah. I, there was I, a time I, when I, I was doing it twice a month, and uh, yeah. that was a long time ago. That's back before, before my your, job uh, drove you insane. Literally. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Before, like, next week work starts. What? It's only the beginning of August. We used to have more time off, yeah, and it wasn't as crazy as it is, as it is now. So, yeah, I used to do a lot more podcasts than I do now, a lot more, but things are changing. Yeah. Well, Vicky and I, Vicky and I are going to start our new podcast on October third, and Stephen will obviously uh, be a frequent guest. Uh, so I hope everyone well, will tune in and listen not to that. In October, because I got the, all the Halloween shenanigans I always do on right. October, and hopefully this year right. we can get Vicky to read a story for the live reading show. Nate's always. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's really where you've yeah. really been a part of it because you usually do a story. You usually, before we did this, you've always like do it reading a story for that. Yeah, yeah, we uh, yeah we always did that in October. We can uh, obviously do that again this year. That's a fun that yeah that's a fun tradition. Each of us reading a scary story. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I usually good record one. mine because that's usually when I'm so burnt out from work and I don't have any time. It's the worst. It's the worst. I October used to be my favorite month. My whole life, October, favorite month, you know, Halloween, favorite holiday. All I can think of now as a teacher is I can't wait till after Halloween because I got a Thanksgiving break coming up. A job <laughs> like that screws with your head and you just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I will try to do it live. totally. 
Yeah. Burnout is one of the worst things that can happen to anybody when it comes to your job or anything. Anything, yeah, exactly. But it's that weird. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's that weird thing with my job where I work like I work days and I get nights, weekends, and holidays off. But then it's like there's that always that weird thing where you get like Memorial Day or Labor Day or the 4th of July off. But uh, the way it works, since I work for the federal government, if you don't if you don't work the day before or after a holiday, you don't get the holiday pay. Is that what it's like working as a teacher, Vicki? No, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I used to work um, for the IRS, so I know what you're talking about. I remember I had to go into work on uh, Easter Sunday because as far as the federal government is concerned, Easter isn't a holiday. And I remember that really well. But, um, no, being in education, they expect you to bring home tons of work because they don't give you time to grade at school anymore. What they do is they take up all your time at school with useless, endless dribble and meetings. Constantly you're going from here to there. If you're not in the classroom with students, then you're going to go listen to some idiot talk the same thing that they talked last year about I don't know education stuff okay yeah and uh, um and so um it's not it's not so much like that I'm looking forward to like a week off because I need to sleep for three days because yeah I don't get to sleep from next week when I start till the end of October I I don't sleep. And so yeah. no, it's totally it's, uh, and they want it that way. Yeah. That's it's the like worst this, part about uh, it. Nate. Okay. Today we're gonna to have the staff meeting. Tomorrow we're gonna to have the post staff meeting. And the day <laughs> after that we're gonna have you come here and workshop on ideas for our next staff meeting. Exactly. I feel I I I I I feel personally attacked by that. (laughs) No, here's the thing: Uh, they make us go to those those workshops. Do you know anything about math? Well, your students are are studying math. Maybe you should know a little more about math. So take a a math workshop. And I'm an English teacher, and I'm like, what the you know what? Fuck. So. So well, before so my here's last, uh, late dad oh, died, Vicky, uh, and go ahead, Nate. Oh, I was just gonna comment on Vicky saying that. Uh, so the last uh, staff meeting that we had, everyone had to put a sticker on their forehead that was a different color, and <laughs> oh, you had to. And 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 you you didn't know what color your sticker was. But you had to find everyone else that had the same color sticker as you. My boss pulled his phone out and took a picture of his forehead and saw that he had a yellow sticker and just went around and found everyone else with a yellow sticker. Oh, you lazy. But my dad, before he retired early uh, because of his heart attack and he started getting a little bit of mental dementia, 
was a mechanics teacher. But to get a raise every year, he had to go back to college to get degrees in English, in math, (laughs) in science, because that's what teachers do. I know, it's ridiculous. You know, they hired me to teach English, and yet I have to go to these, these, uh, sometimes they're like two-day workshops on on statistics not not statistics like the class but trying to figure out the statistical average of why my students are failing some kind of bs like that i'll tell you why they're failing cuz they don't want to do the work okay um i don't need to mm. go to a two two day workshop to know what's wrong with this kid's grades all right I mean, they think of the most ridiculous thing so that they can pay these people that don't want to be teachers anymore to turn around and try to teach teachers stuff we already know. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll tell you what irritates me the most. I have a degree in English with a minor in philosophy. But to earn oh, those two degrees. <laughs> so oh, God. I. Oh. oh, my God. Did, did Vicky just hang up? <laughs> oh, God. No. <laughs> um, but to earn those two degrees, I also had to take a lot of mathematics uh, and science yep. courses when, when I yep. went to college. N- now... Uh, the same college that I graduated from, if you want an English degree, all you got to do is take English classes. Eh, no math, no science. You don't got to worry about that stuff anymore. And I'm oh, yeah, just like, really? Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> Too yeah. expensive now for the young people to get that well-rounded education. We're the last literate generation. The, one, yeah. the other ones coming up, they're not literate. They're just they just know one tunnel vision part of the world, and that's their yeah. memorization. No, I wish we went back to rote memorization. The kids wouldn't be dumb if we went back to the boring stuff of school instead of just trying to entertain everybody. The kids wouldn't be dumb anymore. They'd be smart like us. But no, we must entertain them now. So we entertain yeah, them. Glor- we throw you're out glorified all that. babysitters until they're 18, and then they kick them out in the world without knowing which way is up. Totally. Totally. I just said that Pers- to Personally, I think we need to uh, learn new math and critical race theory. Uh, that's, just, that's just my point. Uh, this is Brad Bradley Whitford uh, with a yeah. talk for the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah the wrong new with math. the critical race theory, but there's oh, that new math. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I sit down with my granddaughter who um, who's going into second grade right now. But when she was in kindergarten, she brought home this book. And at the back of the book, it had math. And it said two plus two equals. 
here, let's look at it in a different way. And they take these apples and they start showing all these different scenarios to a kid that doesn't even know that two plus two is four, right? You got to teach them that before you teach them all these other weird ways of coming up with the number four for the answer. But, oh, no, they skip the critical thing. They skip the, 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 the lesson that needs to be learned in favor of these theories that only freaking astrophysicists, I, excuse me, Kevin, I didn't mean that like that, only astrophysicists are going to use. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so, yeah, they don't I'm, even, I'm so looking they, forward to school. They, they don't even teach you the difference between apples and oranges before they start asking you math <laughs> questions. Uh, come on. What's going on what here? The, if they would just use granola bars, everyone knows what granola bars are, right? <laughs> <laughs> but granola bars come two to a package, so you got to be careful about that because that's going to make the math a little weak. <laughs> make, yeah. make the math a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, before uh, I get to details about the what? giveaway, I'm looking over here at uh, Princess. Yeah, we got a giveaway. Annoying me. I've had her as long as pretty much as long as I've been doing the show. And one of my my favorite Princess moment is you wasn't on Nate, but Vicky was. It was like one night and one hour into the show, we were talking, and then all of a sudden. Vicky and uh, other co-host who was there heard this horrible clang and me going, oh, God, dang, and then said, I'll be back. And it turned out <laughs> that Miss Princess had grabbed her water bowl, which was empty, and threw it and hit me right in the head. <laughs> you remember that, Vicky? I do remember that. <laughs> well, like what keep, keep, your, keep, keep, your, keep your dog, keep your dog's water bowl filled, you moron. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. She's like, "Yes, I will teach you the hard way." <laughs> Dude, the the other like the other morning. Uh, the other morning I woke up and uh, I oftentimes suffer from panic attacks and uh, that generally manifests itself in uh, in like cold sweats. And uh, I had come in into my uh, my. And, and is. Either his power or his microphone dropped out again, but until he gets back, let's talk about the giveaway. I am giving away, as the order for this, uh, uh, the Tapito Man pop. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Gorehound, Gore Grind Mutilations uh, from... Uh, Gorefield, one of my uh, uh, one of my other co-hosts I've done shows with, and uh, Hello Kitty, uh, Ro- uh, Spaceman Kitty. That's because Vicky's in the sci-fi, so we gotta have the rocket scientist there. 
<laughs> right, Vicky? Yeah. That's right. That's right. And also for Vicky, I'm giving away my copy of the tie-in novel of Galaxy Quest. The tie-in novel? What's that? The tie-in novel that came out with the movie. Oh, how about that? I didn't even know there was one. Yeah. Why is it that every time I try to tell you guys a long story, my computer kicks me off? (laughs) I don't know. You've had the worst luck tonight, man, with your power and everything. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's been horrible. But, hey, 600, woo! (laughs) Yeah, and... uh, I would have a Quentin Tarantino thing to give away in Nate, but I don't have anything that's spare in any of the pops of his, besides the ones I got for Hateful Eight. Well, they'll run you $50 at the cheapest. Right, Nate? Yeah, yeah. Um, My wife has a box of 72 kazoos that she said we can donate to the giveaway tonight. 72 kazoos for the township. <laughs> 72 is, kazoos. Yes, there's a song. Yeah. There's, there's a song there. Uh, yeah, from the music, man, uh, instead of 72 trombones, we got 72 kazoos. Yeah, it was, it, th- this is for real. I have a box of 72 kazoos that I bought for $10 just as a gag uh, for my friend Lawton because uh, Abby and I have been working on our new album and we've been recording a bunch of ukulele songs. My friend Lawton is a musician, so I sent him some of our demos. Uh, I posted some of them on Facebook as well. And... Lawton, three days later, Lawton says, oh, I didn't listen to your demo because I thought it said ukuleles. Uh, no, he he said, I thought it said kazoos, not ukuleles, so I didn't want to listen to it. So I said, oh, oh, cool. But then he was, and you know, then he was there like, oh. is going to be, for the contest, three trivia questions, and to enter it, Email Stephen five six o no Stephen o five six eight at aol dot com and make sure to put in the title contest entry and if you get the questions right you will be put in for a drawing toward the winner and here is the first question and there's going to be three and here it's the first the first one is what novel was based on the uh, title was taken from the author listening to John Lennon's instant karma And here's the second one, and it's a twist because it's going to be hard. One, what is Nate's 
favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, and two, what Jeff Franco movie is referenced in said movie? Huh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you and you really worked that one. You were you really worked that one out, didn't you, brother? <laughs> yeah. And the third question <laughs> is for sci-fi. Okay. What movie movie this is a sci-fi movie was remade one four times once in the fifties. Well, it was made in the fifties first. Then a sequel slash remake was made in the 70s at, starring Donald Sutherland. And oh. then it was done in the 90s as a remake with Meg Tilly. And then it was done in the OOs as a remake with uh, Kidman. And the second part to that question is what? famous sci-fi show was one of the stars of the 79 remake of said movie, which you're going to have to answer a part of. Say that again? Uh, the, uh, the 79 remake of this movie that's the answer. What uh-huh. one of the stars was part of a famous sci-fi series? What was it? Ah, okay. Boy, Stephen really does not want to give away these prizes, does he? The, oh, these I are know like the, the hardest. To that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, those, I I know I, I well I know the answer to the I I know the answer to question number two as well, but that doesn't mean I'm going to yeah. win the the prizes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'll post it on Facebook, but uh, put the answers in and get to Stephen 0508 at AOL.com. And just all through the years, thank you to every one of my guests who's been on the show. Thank you to the original KSADAD. Uh, Definitely thank you to Vicki, Nate. Uh, Gore Freak, uh, Frederick, who will definitely have an episode next week for Friday the 13th. Uh, the guys from Central Cinema, who is the best theater in Knoxville, and uh, the guys from the Drive In th- uh, Drive In Monsterama who we will be doing an episode next month with them close to their Jalio, Jalo Fest this year. And to all of the guests I've had, thank you. This show has been better because of you. And thank you, yeah, Vicky, we've had, for uh, yeah. knowing a crap load about sci-fi, more than I do. You're like the go-to <laughs> sci-fi TV, movie, books. Well, 
Some people laugh at me for that, but I'm comfortable. <laughs> no, Stephen, thank you for letting me just geek out on podcasts, having my own show, and doing uh, doing as much sci-fi and science as I want to do. It's uh, it's just a pleasure, and it's been so much fun over the years. You know, um, I wouldn't be doing any of this if it wasn't for you. So. Yeah. Thank you and so much. And the funny Vicky moment is what basically what episode that me and her had with uh, old host and one of her guests. Uh, it was never published <laughs> because of this incident. The show's <laughs> audio melted, Nate. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was like one second we were talking and then <laughs> yeah, it was like a yeah. record that you know. It was like, what the heck? It was the oh. most horrible thing that ever happened, <laughs> and that person never spoke to me again. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. It wasn't our fault at all. Yeah. It was the programming. It was that. It was no nobody's fault. Oh God, it was. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny now. No, uh, but yeah. No, uh, we have had a really good run. I mean, the three of us have built uh, an amazing empire with our individual podcasts and teaming up together and 600 shows over the past few years is pretty amazing. So uh, I'm looking forward to 600 more between the three of us. So let's just uh, let's just keep on running with it, you know. And how what do we, you do uh, it, folks? Yeah. All these people have been doing podcasts. Well, find out what you know and love to talk about it, and then find two other people that know stuff <laughs> that you don't. Otherwise, right. it's going to get stale very, very quickly. And if you want to do a podcast with Steven, it's not hard to find things that he doesn't know about. <laughs> well, I'm smart enough. A smart man knows what he doesn't know, not what he knows. <laughs> exactly. That's a True. good quote. True. <laughs> uh, and thank you to Nate for giving me my first chance. I wouldn't have written for the magazine. I wouldn't even have done this without you giving me that first chance and giving me the confidence that, hey, I can do something besides just piddly piddly on Facebook. Yeah, we had we had a lot of fun with the uh, with the website, and and then we just. Yeah, we just parlayed it into this podcast, which has been amazing. I've had so much fun, man. Uh, so many years, so many guests, uh, so many topics. Like this has been a this has been a great ride, man. It's been a great ride. Yeah. And if you get someone like Vicky who knows sci-fi and all that. Let them do their own thing. Don't try to make them to conform to what you think they should do. It'll be a lot better that way. Don't make people conform. Just let them be themselves. Yeah, and that's also true about your guests, 
too. You can ask them leading questions, but if they don't answer it the way you want, uh, then just let it be. Just you know, don't try to pigeonhole your guests either. You know, that's that's uh, they get they get get upset with that. So don't make your guests upset because here's the one thing I learned way back when I was doing interviews for my newspaper for the newspaper I used to run here in town Um, people love to talk and they love to talk about themselves and their projects and the things that they have done kind to your guests ask them leading questions or open-ended questions and be happy for everything they ever tell you you'll be a happy podcaster (laughs) yeah and I have to say, if I was going to pick the worst show we ever did, it would be Tessa Dick, and it's in the archives. <laughs> ever, ever get someone on the show as a guest, and Vicky was there, be glad you weren't, Nate, that uh, pretty much is on strong LSD and mushrooms at the same time, <laughs> because they will... Uh, The funny thing was, I was talking to Vicky about this earlier today, and I was like, I'm on mushrooms right now. Uh, But, you know, like, and you and I have talked about this before. Some people can handle their shit. Some people can't. Uh, I think I conducted myself uh, professionally throughout this podcast, despite the fact that I am currently tripping on mushrooms. (laughs) Well, so, you, you know, know, a lot but, of people yeah. drink heavily during podcasts, you know, yeah. what they do. But yeah. in all well, seriousness, I'm also, I'm a- she spent the whole show talking about how the conspiratist and the man was after Philip K. Dick because of his writing. Right. Yeah. She yeah, was talking about yeah, co host was yeah. into that. The other yeah. host yeah, was I were, feeding yeah. that whole thing the whole time. I, I was not on that podcast, but I have listened to it. And yeah, that, yeah, she was out of her mind, man. <laughs> I don't know what was going on with that. Oh, shit. And if yeah. I was going to pick the best huh. guest, it would probably, uh, the one with the best guest I've had with Vicky was uh, the Boggy Creek episode. Her and, uh, the daughter of the guy who directed that got along like they knew each other for like a million yeah. freaking years. Right. I didn't have to say anything because yeah. they were just talking like old friends like at a class reunion. <laughs> it was. It was a really good show. And it was. It was like we'd been friends forever. It, it, that was a click. That was, that, just, that was smooth and fun. Well... You, you you know, uh, no one wants to uh, talk about it openly, but Vicky is from Boggy Creek. She, uh, <laughs> you know, she, uh, she, you know, she, you know, she grew up there. So don't let her pretend like, like some new girl just dumped into her life. No, no. No, Vicky's she's always been a Creek. Cali girl. Cali and <laughs> uh, Arizona, right? <laughs> yes, Arizona. Yes, you're right. <laughs> when uh, when I was driving home from my doctor's appointment today, there was a sign uh, uh when I went when I came, there's a small town here that's kind of like a hipster town 
uh, mm. between my doctor's God. office and where I live. And uh, there was a sign that said, caution, Bigfoot crossing. <laughs> I was like, eh. I was like, all right. <laughs> I, I guess I'll be careful. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. This, I don't know. I could live near people like that. I could, I could deal with that. That's much better than oh yeah no no it's a cool little town it's a it's a cool little hipster town like but like i said it's between like where my doctor's office is and where i actually live it's just a cool little hipster town but i just thought it was hilarious i came driving down around the corner <laughs> yeah. oh caution bigfoot crossing <laughs> it's totally uh, cool totally oh shit yeah. Well, all right, guys. I got to go to bed. Happy 600. Yeah, Sounds thank like you. Had, uh, I thank yeah. you guys for 600, and thank everyone who's listened to the to the show throughout the years. Yes. Yeah. We have so appreciate yeah. our listeners. Yes, we have had a great fan base, and we have had a lot of great guests. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, let's go for 600 more, you know? Amen. Do it. I agree. All right. And with that, I'll talk and to you guys the questions later. will be posted on Facebook with the rules. Thank you again, you, you all again. And as always, as we leave these shows, Good night, sweetheart. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, sweetheart. Where is time to go? Good night, sweetheart. Where is time to go? I hate to leave you, but I really
stay here too long One kiss in the sky And I'll be going You know I Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.